Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met yet, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. My family and I are normally at the Boulder campus, but I love being able to visit our other campuses, and I especially love coming out here to Thornton and being with all of you. Today's a really important Sunday in the life of our church. We call it the 6-8 Project. And it's a project that we've been participating in together for several years, a little bit disrupted by COVID, like most things in the world were. But it's really rooted in these three principles and commitments that we want to be the kind of people who do justice. Because I think when we look around in our world, we know there are all kinds of injustices that exist. And we want to be the kind of people who can step in and meet food shortages and all sorts of other injustices that occur. We want to be the kind of people who love mercy, who express mercy in the places where God has called us, and to be the kind of people who live humble lives wherever we are. And all of this comes from the Old Testament prophet Micah. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man or woman, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So as we open the Bible together today, I want to spend a little time with you talking about this, which is an important part of the mission of our church together, that we would be engaged in areas of justice and mercy, and when we serve, we would serve with an attitude of humility. And I want all of us to have it in our mind that as we close today, we are going to be remembering the mission of Jesus who came to save us as we celebrate communion together. So if you have a Bible, would you open it with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 29. If you can't find Jeremiah, just remember God put a table of contents in the front of your Bible so that you could find Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. We've been in a study together for a few weeks in the book of Daniel, and honestly, we could turn to Jeremiah 29 every week because it is sort of the mission that God gives the people who are called into exile. And we've looked at it before, and we're going to look at it again today because this really helped the people have a framework for how they should live while they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And we're going to look at it together today and see some principles that I think are helpful for us, even in our day. But have you ever wondered about God's purpose for you in a certain place? Have you ever lived somewhere, I hope it's not here, but have you ever lived somewhere where you just didn't really love it, and you thought, God, how long am I going to be here? Or maybe it was just a season of life, whether it was school or a job or a time in your life where you thought, God, I'm just not certain what your purpose is for me here. And I'm looking forward to what's next. I imagine that Daniel and the other people who had been taken captive had similar questions in their minds and hearts. Lord, why are we here? What in the world could be your purpose in taking us into captivity? That's why this letter from Jeremiah is so helpful, because it shares God's purpose for the people of God while they are in Babylon. Jeremiah was one of the remaining few who had been left behind in Jerusalem. 
Nebuchadnezzar set up kind of a puppet regime there, and Jeremiah communicated to the exiles who were in Babylon through a letter. And that's what Jeremiah 29 is. It starts in verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then verse 4. The letter said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what was the purpose of God for the exiles in Babylon? It's in verse 7. Jeremiah says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare welfare. This was the purpose that God had for the people while they were in that place, to seek the welfare of the city. Now, in the original language, the word that we translate welfare is actually shalom, which is a word probably many of us are familiar with. We translate it today to be peace, but shalom has a much deeper and richer meaning than our understanding of peace. Shalom, welfare, is all-encompassing. It extends to all facets and aspects of life. And so when God says to his people, I want you to seek the shalom of the city to which I have called you, that means that God wants his people to have a perspective that the city of Babylon, this godless pagan culture that has kidnapped them, that is currently culturally indoctrinating them, to be pagan and to leave their faith behind. God wants that culture, that city, to flourish through his people. That's kind of a stunning call of God. And when we think about the culture that we live in today, that is, frankly, less difficult than the Babylonian culture would have been to live in, but still has its challenges, I think God has a similar calling for us that we would seek the shalom, the welfare, the flourishing of the place where God has called us today. That's the heart of God. That's why we're called as a people, as a church, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Now, as we said, we can imagine that the people of God received this letter from Jeremiah, and in fact, some of them did. They thought it was ridiculous. That can't be the purpose of God. That can't be what God would call us to do. God wants the city of Babylon to flourish. They don't even acknowledge God. Why would God call us to this? Perhaps some of them thought maybe we should rise up, storm the palace, take this place captive, and lead it ourselves. Because These people have taken us captive. They've kidnapped us. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was a tyrant who had conquered them. Shouldn't we rise up against him and, and against this unjust captivity? But God gives them a unique perspective about why they are actually there in verse 4. When he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God had a purpose for his people. He sent them there. Now Nebuchadnezzar was responsible. He played a part in this. But God was the one who had ultimately said, my people have been disobedient for generations. And I have appealed to them over and over and over again to turn back to me. And I've sent a number of different prophets to speak to them and call them to return to me. And they haven't. And just as I promised and predicted for hundreds of years through prophets like Isaiah, you're actually going to suffer the judgment of God and be taken captive by Babylon. This is a helpful reminder for us that God has a purpose for us in the places that he calls us. Which means God has a purpose for you, wherever you are. Wherever you live, wherever you work, at school, in your activities that you participate in, God has a purpose. And part of that purpose is that you would seek the welfare of the place where God has called you. It's interesting the way that God calls his people back then in Daniel's day to live out this purpose. It's in verse 5. God says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. This is like God's community development program. I want you to build houses and I want you to live in them and I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. Both of those things take time. This is a long-term commitment. God isn't saying I want you to seek the welfare of the place that I've called you for a brief period, but for a long time, long enough to build a house, long enough to plant a garden, Long enough even to, to actually plant deeper roots than just fruits and vegetables. But God is calling them to be a faithful presence in the midst of the Babylonians. Part of the fabric of that culture. Part of that community as they seek the welfare of the city. And these deeper roots that, that God calls them to are family roots also. In verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. This is a multi-generational call to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. Get married, God says. Have kids and grandchildren. Raise your family in this place that I have sent you to. It's easier, actually, for us to seek the welfare of a place where our family lives, right? Because God says, in its welfare, you will have welfare. So what does welfare seeking in a city look like in our day? Well, that's why we do the 6-8 project. And I wanted to recap some of the history of that project that we've had over the years. We started the 6-8 project in 2017. I know the text is small there, so I'll summarize it for you if you can't read the eye chart that we have on the screen. But 
Over the years, we, we have tried to engage in a number of different areas. When we kicked off the 6A project in 2017, we invited Compassion International to come to our Erie and Boulder campuses. And they provided this incredible experience where you could walk through a giant truck that they had made to be um, very similar to what it's like to live in the third world. And we said to our people, it's really helpful for first world Americans to be able to experience what it's like to live in the third world. And if any of you have ever traveled to those places, you know how impactful that kind of experience is. And we said to our people, you should bring your children so that they might be able to see what it's like. And you'd walk through this interactive experience and learn what it's like for children to live in different places in the world and the kind of needs that they had. And our hope was that it would soften our hearts for the needs of people around the world and that we might be able to engage in acts of mercy and justice for them. And of course, Compassion has an amazing child sponsorship program that I'm sure many of you, our family does too, sponsor Compassion Kids. And we had over 200 Compassion Kids who were sponsored over a couple years that we invited the Compassion Experience to be a part of the 6-8 Project Weekend. And we love that. We love that there are kids around the world who are experiencing mercy because we have seen the life that they live and understand that God has called us to care for them. For three years, 2017 to 2019, we did meal packing events at each of our campuses where we would pack meals and they would be sent across the world to help meet the needs of people who struggled with hunger. And they were very efficient, high-calorie, you know, shelf-stable, so they could be sent to remote places in the world. And over three years, we packed like 350,000 meals that were sent to all sorts of different places and helped to feed all kinds of people. We've had opportunities for our church to engage in service and jump in and find out ways that they can serve in the community. We have that happening in our cafe today as you leave the service. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but there's a number of ways for all of us to be able to engage in service here locally so that we can seek the welfare of the city of Thornton and the places where God has placed us. Last year, you might remember during our 6-8 project, it was a little different because it was post-COVID, But it was right on the heels of the Marshall Fire that had happened in Louisville and Superior. And there were thousands of families that had lost homes in December of 2021. And we said, you know, God has been really generous to our church. And we have a really significant benevolence fund. And we just sensed this is a need that is in our community that we have to respond to. And one of the greatest needs that people had in in those early months following the loss of their home was financial. And so we invited members of our congregation. I know some of you uh, sort of filled out an application and said, I know people who have lost their home and I'd like to help them. And I'd like to give them a financial gift of $1,000, $2,000. And we gave away $250,000 to families who had lost their homes because of the Marshall Fire. Of course, we're doing a food drive this year. That's always been an important component and is like an increasing important component. You heard it this morning that food insecurity is like at an all-time high. And food costs are so significant that this food drive will genuinely help people who live in our community. There's a number of other experiences that we've been a part of locally and globally. One, uh, One partnership that we've had over the years is through Freedom 58 which helps to bring awareness and elimination of human trafficking in certain areas. And a couple of years ago, we sent them $10,000 to help them kickstart a human traffic monitoring station in Ghana. And 
since then, they uh, reported to us just this week that they have intercepted 444 people from potential human trafficking. They've aided in the arrests of six traffickers and have seen 25 people in that time place their faith in Christ. That is an injustice that exists in our world that we want to bring attention to and that we want to help put an end to. So those are just some of the ways that we together as a church aim to seek the welfare in our city. Now, why do we do these things? Of course, as we saw in Micah 6, 8, it's because God calls us to, to be people of justice and mercy and humility. And it's also because that it's been our experience as a church that when we seek the welfare of the cities where God has placed us in Boulder and in Erie and in Thornton, Welfare-seeking opens the door to the gospel in unbelievable ways. So one way at Calvary that we've seen this play out is that when we participate in good deeds, when we seek the welfare of the place where God has called us, those good deeds create goodwill. And that goodwill creates a platform, an environment for us to be able to share the good news with people. So we don't simply exist as an organization to do good in the community. That's important, but that's not our primary mission. Our primary mission is that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So people have physical needs, and we want to help meet that through projects like the 6-8 project. But their most important needs are spiritual ones. And we do some of these efforts so that we might have an opportunity to not only meet physical needs, but spiritual needs as well. So in the time that we have left together, I want to share a few principles with you that have been really helpful and shaping for us as we think about being this kind of church. So the first one is this. Christians don't grow unless they're serving. I love that we open the Bible together each week at Calvary. It's one of the strengths of our church. But the truth is, if all we ever do is learn more and more about the Bible and don't live out what the Bible calls us to, we're missing part of the point of being a Bible church. And so we want to hear the call of God. We want to obey the commands that Christ has given us and live them out. We've said over the years that our dream is that every believer at Calvary would describe themselves as a two-testimony Christian. So we all have our, our testimony of faith, of where we came to know Jesus. And one of the verses we love to turn to when we encourage people to share their testimony is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we know Jesus, we all have that testimony, where we can say there, there was a time where I didn't know Christ, where I was introduced to him, and by the grace that was freely offered by God, I was saved. That's my first testimony. And then the second testimony we love to talk about is in the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. God prepared good works for you before you were even a believer so that you might be able to walk in them, to live them out, 
to seek the welfare of the place where God has called you. That leads us to the second principle, which is that needs in the city create opportunities for the church. So we just heard there's a great need in the city of Thornton for food for families. And that's an opportunity for us to come alongside city leaders, nonprofits like Food for Hope, and to be able to help meet real tangible needs that exist, to be people of mercy. Because needs in the city create opportunities for the church. I'm really thankful for the many things that we're doing together as a church here in Thornton and that so many of you are engaged around them. We heard about the food drive and and as was said, as you leave today, you can find out ways you might volunteer at Food for Hope if that works in your schedule. I love the partnership that we have with Wood Glen Elementary School. There's opportunities coming towards the end of the school year where you can jump in and volunteer for field day and you can uh, help that school as a student reading partner. Connecting with local schools has been one of the most amazing ways that we have seen God work through this principle that I shared earlier, that good deeds create goodwill, which provide a platform for the good news. Many of you know that when we launched our Erie campus about 17 years ago, we began by meeting in a school, Erie High School. And we met there for about nine years. And we had a wonderful partnership with that school. We served as mentors and we cared for the teachers and we would do landscape projects and we would help them with assemblies that they had, all sorts of different partnerships, similar to the ways that we're engaging at Wood Glen. And it was a wonderful partnership. And one year, the principal of the school came to us. We met there every Sunday. And he came to us at the beginning of the school year and he said, you know, we're having a back to school night at the beginning of the year. Obviously, all the uh, Parents of the students will be here for that. And we thought it would be really helpful if Calvary Bible Church had a table at back to school night so that the families of the students who attend Erie High School would know that your church meets here. Think about that for a moment. A public school principal invited us to have a church table booth set up at back to school night so that families who went to school at Erie High School would know they could come to church at Calvary. Now, that doesn't happen if we hadn't created a partnership, if there hadn't been a number of wonderful people who had gone and served the school and who had cared for students and who had provided for physical needs. Good deeds lead to goodwill, which creates a platform for the good news. There's an opportunity to serve here in our community, kind of a new uh, ministry opportunity that we're starting here in Thornton called the Gap Team where you can sign up to be on a list. You can talk to Brody after the service. And when immediate needs come up in our community, he'll send out a blast email and say, hey, here's the need. Can you help? And you can jump in and say, yeah, I can do that right now if, if my schedule allows. Serving immediate needs that come up in the community. There, there are so many ways for us to serve. So many ways that God calls us to step into service. And the beautiful thing about the number of needs that exist is this third principle, that servants can go anywhere because there are needs everywhere. There are just so many needs in our community, and servants are invited to come in and help in all of those places. So what are the unique places that God has called you? Not just to the city that you live in, but the, maybe the neighborhood that you live in. 
the office that you work at, the school that your kids go to, the activities that they're a part of. God called Daniel to a unique place, Babylon. And Daniel had a unique kind of influence. He rose up to be one of the most powerful leaders in the government of Babylon in his day. Now, if God's calling you to have a high level of governmental influence, God bless you. And I mean that. But for some of us, it it might be a little bit smaller scale in the ways that God calls us to have influence. I mean, just remember what, what Jeremiah said to the exiles, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. We all have a chance to serve in the places where God has called us, in our unique circle of influence. And when we just pray about, God, how are, how are the ways that I might be able to serve here in this place, God will make those abundantly clear to us. One of the simplest ways to think about this is just thinking about where you live. Maybe it's in an apartment building, maybe it's in a neighborhood, maybe it's in a condo complex, wherever it is, just think about your neighbors. And I wonder, do you know their names? Like if you think about your house and maybe the eight houses that surround you, do you know the names of all the people who live there? God calls us to be good neighbors. I've learned in my life it's hard to be a good neighbor when I don't know my neighbor's names. So that's a good place to start. And one project that Lindsay and I did, um, we've done several times, but we used to live over at 120th and Lowell, about 10 minutes from here. And we realized after we lived there for a couple of years that um, we knew our next door neighbors, but that was it. And we noticed that our neighbors didn't really talk to each other. It was that classic, like, come home from work, drive into the garage, shut the garage, and then go inside. And we were at church one Sunday and we were talking about this principle and we just became convicted, like, we just need to meet our neighbors. How should we do that? And it was summertime. And so we decided to throw a barbecue in our front yard. And so we printed up invitations and we walked around to about the eight or 10 houses that were closest to us and knocked on the doors and for the very first time met some of our neighbors and just said, hey, we realize we don't know many of you. We're sorry about that. We'd love to. So we're having a barbecue. I think it was Memorial Day weekend. We're going to have a barbecue in our front driveway. We'd love for you to join us. You can bring a side dish. We'll provide the main dish. That took a lot of faith. We had to pray before we went over there. And we handed them these invitations. Everyone was very nice. And then a week later, we put a table out front in our driveway, wheeled the grill outside, brought the meat out there. And then I kind of panicked because I realized I have no idea if anybody's going to come to this. And they might sit in their house and look out the window and see me standing there with this table and this grill and all of these burgers and think like, oh, that's really sad. No one came to that barbecue. And I said, Lord, (laughs) I need your help. And you know what? Every single person that we invited came. And it transformed that little neighborhood from being, everybody was just shy. And then suddenly, people knew each other. And they were so much more friendly. And we got to know them and create relationships with them. And it was beautiful. And it literally took knocking on a door and saying, I'm sorry that we don't know you would you come to this barbecue? And that was just a small step of being able to seek the welfare of the place where God had called us. 
And I wonder what that might be for you. Whatever small step you might be able to take today. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that thinks and cares about its community, that seeks the welfare of the places where God has sent us. But you know, friends, the reality is that our church could do all of these things. We could serve in countless places. We could express mercy. We could right the wrongs of injustice. And we could still fail to seek the welfare of our city. Philip Riken, who's the president of Wheaton College, wrote a book about the book of Jeremiah. And he says this, Whatever shalom, welfare, the Hebrews offered to Babylon, Christians are able to offer a much greater peace to the postmodern city. What we offer is eternal peace with God through the work of Christ on the cross. That peace is the basis for everything else we do in the city. It is what makes us neighborly, compassionate, and charitable. When the city finds peace with God, all will be well with the city. True and lasting welfare can only exist when people receive the mercy that is freely offered through the gift of the Son of God, Jesus, who came to right the wrong of the injustice of sin, who is the most humble man who ever lived. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we prepare to remember his death, let's remember the expression of mercy that God offered to each of us by giving us his son. By sending him from heaven to earth. Do you think Jesus ever felt a little bit like an exile here? This culture is a little different than what it must have been like to be in heaven for all eternity. That he would experience the kind of scorn and unjust accusations. That he would be mocked and spit upon that he would be beaten and ultimately killed because of who he was. But the joy that we have in remembering his death is that he accomplished what we never could. That he offered the mercy of God to us so that we might experience true shalom, true welfare, and be restored in our relationship with God and live forever in eternity with him. In a moment, we're going to sit in silence and reflect on the death of Jesus. And I would just invite any of you who have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, I would call you to receive this gift of mercy that God offers to you through His Son. And then come to one of these stations up here or at the back when you're ready. You can take some bread and drink from the cup and remember the death of Jesus for you. He himself bore our sins in, the, in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Paul encourages us to sort of examine our hearts 
before we come to the table and receive communion. So as we sit in silence, I just invite you to speak to the Lord quietly in your heart. Perhaps you need to confess sin. Perhaps you need to give thanks to God for the gift of His Son. Perhaps you need to surrender your life to the Savior Jesus. Lord Jesus, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we turn to you now, Jesus. We remember your death, what it means for us. And I pray as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we would be reminded of your gift of mercy to us. And that this meal might nourish our souls for the mission that you've called each of us to in the different places that we are so that we might be your ambassadors of mercy for the good of this city and for the glory of God. We worship you and proclaim your death until you return, Lord Jesus. To you be praise. Amen. You're free to come to the table when you're ready. If you'd like to be served where you are, you might let someone nearby you know that we have some uh, elements we can bring to you. And then following communion, we'll continue to worship the Lord together.